0: Hi, folks. Welcome back to On Call with Insignia, where we go on call with leaders innovating the future of Southeast Asia's internet and g- digital economy, or as we like to call it as the innovation. I'm your host, Paolo Kina. And we're back with a returning guest. It's been, I think, two years, to this, just about this time since we last had him on the show. And at that time, we had just invested in the company. We were very happy to announce the investment and excited to see what they were going to be doing. And over the past two years, they've definitely grown from strength to strength. And we have back here the CEO and, and founder to talk about these milestones, talk about what they've been working on and what they're excited about in the future. So we have none other than Branca's CEO and co-founder, Todd Schweitzer, back on the show.
1: Hi, Paulo. How are you doing? Good to see you again. Good
0: to see you again. It's been a while since we've had you on the show having this like one-on-one conversation. And I'm sure for our listeners, especially those who are tuning in, who haven't been able to catch up on that last episode, they're pretty new to Branca's. So maybe you can give a fresh reintroduction to the company and and yourself as
1: well. Sure. Thank you, Paolo. And thank you to the Insignia team. Uh, So Broncos is a financial technology company that focuses on the infrastructure kind of behind the scenes to enable uh, next generation digital banking. So a lot of the terms that you may have heard, like open finance, open banking, embedded finance, banking as a service, a lot of new terminology, but it's really all part of the same uh, trend, which Mm -hmm. is financial institutions, building new technology through APIs and and other tools so that they can plug in financial products on third-party apps. Now, what that means in more layman's terms is there's more and more financial institutions that are looking to partner with tech companies that already have a group of users, and those users could be a certain type of consumer, could be a certain type of small business. It could be a particular function within a business, like the finance team or the HR team. It could be anything from drivers for a ride-sharing app to an HR platform to an aquaculture, e-fishery, small business platform in Indonesia. And these are companies that are not necessarily fintechs themselves, but Mm -hmm. because they have a trusted user base and because they have a lot of data on those users they become an, an awesome way for banks and non-bank financial institutions to actually distribute and, and, and access that customer base um, by partnering with these tech companies, right? So again, depending on whether where the regulations are at or depending on who you talk to, these this trend can be called embedded finance, banking as a service, or open banking, open finance, but it's really all the same principles. What does Broncos do? First of all, we provide the connectivity between banks and financial institutions to these third-party apps, because a lot of these apps, they're focused on their core business, they're focused on managing their users and and their core product. They want to offer financial services inside their product, but they're not necessarily eager to go through long detailed integration with each bank partner one-on-one. And frankly, they may not even be having IT or regulatory compliance to actually enable that connection because more and more these these banking as a service integrations require a bit of licensing or registration. So on the one hand, Broncos simplifies that for the user. So we take on a lot of the regulatory burden around data handling and, and other requirements to make it a super simple, easy onboarding process for the tech companies that want embedded finance plugged in. And, and we're agnostic, by the way. We don't just partner with one bank to do one right. product. Our customers have a way to, to pick and choose the institutions they want for different products, and they can really mix and match, which is really valuable to them. On the other side of the marketplace is the financial institutions that are looking to publish API products to do exactly what I just described, right? So we're in a place in Southeast Asia where. The, the first mover banks and, and and financial institutions have already launched some initial API products, maybe to support payments or KYC, Know Your Customer and Identity Products. Um, but the vast majority are trying to figure out how and what to build. But the proof point is already there from their competitor banks, actually. And so a lot of institutions are looking for an expert technology partner that can help them actually become a supplier of these APIs that enables them to partner more deeply with tech companies. So that's what we do. On the one hand, we work with tech companies and, and consumer and SME apps that are looking to have a financial services integrations. And then we also work with the banks themselves to become suppliers of this of these products. And to, together, that that creates a marketplace where you have the institutions on one side and the tech companies on the other. And Broncos is making it much easier for those two groups to connect. So we started in Indonesia. We expanded to the Philippines. We're now in uh, Vietnam, Thailand, and in 2023 we expanded into the Middle East, particularly Bahrain, UAE, and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So maybe we can talk about that later. But yeah, that's the summary of Broncos today.
0: I always like this, this metaphor. One of our or one of our colleagues used to say it's like a supermarket, <laughs> and you guys are really, especially as fintech becomes more in some ways commoditized, a lot more accessible. You're trying to manage the supply and demand. And making it easier for, as you mentioned, not just Fintex, but any tech company to plug in these services and also the institutions to be able to create those, those services for other companies to use. So given these two sides of that marketplace that you talked about, what are sort of the shifts or trends that you've seen from 2023 going into 2024, maybe across different markets as you did mention, you're in the Indonesia, Philippines, we'll talk about the Middle East later on, but yeah, maybe within Southeast Asia first, what yeah. are some of the trends that you've seen in the uptake for these uh, services?
1: Yeah, sure so indonesia is interesting i think in indonesia we're moving to next generation digital banking and and embedded finance and what i mean is indonesia has had the benefit of a lot of venture capital some ending entrepreneurs some real success stories and as you and i know the tech sector in indonesia is thriving also the large banks in indonesia that would otherwise even maybe three or four years ago were pretty still pretty comfortable with the scale that they had i think particularly in consumer and sme they're feeling the, the pressure from and, and feeling a real competitor from digital banks as well as non-bank tech companies. So in Indonesia, it's not about version one, how do we go digital? How do we offer certain payment API products? I think a lot of that infrastructure is in place. Where we see the biggest trend in Indonesia in the open finance banking as a service realm is small and medium enterprise solutions. So banks thinking about how do they use the lessons learned on the consumer side and the digital banking side to have really good SME banking experiences right and SME is an interesting segment because these are corporate clients these are companies they sole proprietor to really medium-sized very healthy companies but data availability on these companies is pretty weak it does today take a lot of human intervention and kind of staff at the bank evaluating each loan proposal for example but a lot of these businesses, particularly the smaller side of these small businesses, they may be a very healthy business, but the size of the revenue that small business generates for the bank is not justifying having a whole team of people work on it, right? So if a bank is serving a large corporate, that large corporate, they can have a dedicated relationship manager and a whole team figuring out what is the portfolio of bank offers, right? But if it's a small business, a small shop owner, auto mechanic shop, or a small, a small retail store that needs working capital financing or that wants to renovate their storefront or something like that. It sounds pretty straightforward, but the economics start to fall apart when you have a bunch of human review, you have multiple weeks of review. And so I think in Indonesia, the opportunity is, and where we see the most interest from our bank partners, especially is solving SME banking by providing APIs that connect the institution, business unit of a bank, to tech companies that are solving another need, non-financial, for SMEs, right? And so connecting those two where you can have embedded credit and payments and maybe trade facilitation cross-border inside that third-party app is gonna be really valuable and it, it makes for a much more profitable and a better customer experience SME banking unit so that's where we see a lot of exciting activity and also in Indonesia the SMEs are the backbone of the economy it's a disproportionate share of, of GDP and it's really the driver for economic growth something that I'm proud of that we're in a small way contributing to that economic growth in in the Philippines let's say it's a bit behind Indonesia but there is I think a waking up that's happening the regulators whether it's the the central bank of the Philippines the VSP, or whether it's the SEC that regulates consumer finance companies or the National Privacy Commission that's regulated. It's, I think, one of the first in its kind in Southeast Asia that actually has a dedicated government-wide industry agnostic data protection, data handling regulator. They are all on their own, and there's a bit of coor- bit more coordination now, developing standards and rules around open finance. So we're seeing a lot more top-down rules of the road, which is a good thing because when it's unregulated, a lot of the more conservative institutions will stay behind and wait for clarity, right? So I think there's a lot more clarity now. At the same time, there's I think the banks are waking up to the need to be a bit more thoughtful about consumer digital banking and recognizing that I think they need to rethink customer experience there. And partly that's driven by the likes of GCash, for example, the leading e-wallet. It's partly driven by the fact that there are now licensed digital banks that can actually move a bit faster than the the large universal banks. I can't say too much about the startup community yet because the Philippines, as you would know, Paolo, you're based here in Manila like I am. I think the Philippines is still waiting for its huge success stories for startups. You know, big exit and big kind of big successful institutional kind of tech companies in a way that Indonesia's already had. Indonesia has several of its tech unicorns that have IPO'd locally or abroad or that have had big exits. And, and in Philippines, we're still waiting on that. So the startup industry is still nascent, but there's some great companies at the early in growth stage. And on the institutional side, I think the banks are investing a lot. So the ecosystem is developing, I would say, in the Philippines. But it's it, we're seeing it developing from uh, a lot more sides than we did maybe two years ago.
0: I think in Indonesia, you did mention you had the benefit of a thriving startup ecosystem, a lot of uh, SME enablers, which could serve as your pool of third parties to work with, or the Philippines and maybe even Vietnam and Thailand, right? Like where I guess it's a little bit more behind. Are you thinking about other types of third parties to work with or are you seeing other potential use cases?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think there is the opportunity I'm always looking at is serving migrant workers. One characteristic across Southeast Asia is there are just so many migrant workers, whether it is Indonesians working as domestic workers in Hong Kong, it's Myanmar Burmese diaspora in Thailand, of which I think there are half a million just in Bangkok alone, right? And so there is, I think Southeast Asia is a is a hub globally for looking at innovation in overseas migrant worker financial solutions. And of course, remittances is a big part of it, right? The cross-border payments and remittances, and that's fine. And I think there's, a, there's still a lot to be solved there and a lot of inefficiency, but it's things like overseas banking and being able to actually have, if you're an Indonesian in Hong Kong, being able to have a, a local Indonesian account Where you can do some, use that account in some ways while in Hong Kong, or whether it's a overseas Filipino in Bahrain that wants to actually guarantee a loan back in, in their home province in the Philippines and wants to be able to share their income data and their identity data for their job in Bahrain that it can serve as justification for them being the guarantor in the Philippines. These sound like very esoteric, nerdy stuff, but it's actually fundamental and a key part of the economy in, in, in Southeast Asia. And I think so. There's a lot of there's a lot of lessons that can be learned, I think, and problems to be solved when you join together the migrant worker conditions with this new open finance trend,
0: and I think that definitely opens up the partners that you might have. It goes beyond Southeast Asia. Yeah, you're talking about Bahrain, you're talking about Hong Kong, and all these other places where banks could partner with you guys to, to actually service yeah people within the region as well. So yeah, I think definitely interesting. And I think another point that was brought up from the trends that you spoke about when it, when it comes to open finances, there's definitely blurring lines between fintechs and banks. Uh, I think in Indonesia, there's a lot more acquisitions happening of fintechs, of banks of fintech, and all these different transactions. So what is brands' role in all of these blurring lines? And what is the impact in, in sort of banking experiences for consumers and businesses?
1: Yeah, you're right. So I agree with your premise. The lines are blurring. And not just that, there's crossover, right? So there's large tech companies that have acquired a bank, a rural bank right? Or that have acquired a, an e-wallet or a consumer finance company or a vehicle lending company or a remittance company, right? You're seeing a lot of these where a tech companies start to become banks, right? You see a little bit on the other side where banks are looking to do non-financial services, but primarily techs creeping into the financial sector. I think the big dilemma and where Broncus supports our customers and partners here is It's important for, whether it's a kind of traditional bank or a, a tech company that's recently acquired or had done some sort of joint venture with a bank, important for them to decide to choose how they're going to play. And what do I mean by that? One option is, so I'm a large tech company, I have a great data set on my consumer user population, I should start offering financial services directly to the consumers, and then I can generate more revenue per consumer and increase my valuation and all that. And so then I can acquire a banking license and or a lending license and just serve that, that user base directly. And then I'm sure I have lots of financial projections about how, how great that looks in terms of revenue. And that's a great strategy, and there's a lot of companies that have pursued that strategy. The trade-off of that strategy is financial institutions will be left willing to partner with you with me if i'm that if i'm that, that company right because i'm now putting a stake in the ground that i can do everything top to bottom and i'm gonna i'm gonna make the most of my customer base right the option two is that you focus on being the tech company and managing the user base that, that you built your product around and you work with financial institutions that are specialists in a certain type of product that serves your customer base. And you do a partnership that allows for you to be the distributor of those financial products to your customer base. The trade-off there is, yeah, you're doing revenue share. Like you're giving up some margin and maybe there's a risk that financial institutions start selling directly to your customer base. But the benefit is that you can pick and choose the financial service providers that are the best in their industry at serving your customer base right? So these are the trade-offs that you need to make. And I think I'm not suggesting one or the other. It really depends on where you think your strengths are. But it, I think not being clear about the trade-offs and then trying to do an in-between strategy is going to result in some tougher decisions down the road, I think. So that's I think, that's, I think, where as the lines are blurring, it becomes even more important to say, here is my DNA and here is my best way to play. And this is the bet I'm going to make. And I
0: think even as... It may sound appealing from a revenue standpoint, maybe to build your own internal financial services function or business unit. But I don't think unless you have a certain scale or a certain sort of war chest, it it may be quite complicated, which makes services like Brancas a lot more compelling, especially if you do want to focus just on what you're building.
1: And that's a great point. Fundraising, as you would know, Paolo, fundraising is much more difficult today than it was two years ago. If you are a tech company that is going into financial services, The amount of money you need to spend, the reserve requirements you need, the regulatory costs associated with this, it's no joke. And so what you thought was a pretty lean business can become a very cost-heavy business very quickly. And I know of some companies that are in trouble because they made big moves into becoming their own financial service provider, and it is likely that they were overly optimistic about what the real day-to-day costs of that would be, right? And now need to make tough decisions. And that asset may even be dormant because they're not able to sustain it.
0: And then speaking to the other side of the equation there with banks as well, recently, Brancas documented sort of the banking performance of several banks in the Philippines and Indonesia in its uh, Bank Stability Report. Maybe you can share a little bit about the motivation behind that report and How this factors into this whole conversation that we've been having about blurring lines between tech companies and banks.
1: Yeah, so part of Broncos's day to day operations is monitoring time performance of our bank partners because we're connected to their APIs and we're monitoring their online banking websites and their mobile apps. And because we, for our customers, we need to have some indicator before the customer tries to do a transaction. We need to know ahead of time, if at all possible, whether that bank is down and and not able to process the transaction or not able to have a customer log in. And so this is part of our day-to-day operations in order to provide a better customer experience. Because you don't want a a customer to go through the whole operation to complete a payment at an e-commerce shop where they're paying by bank, powered by Broncos, for example, or they're topping up an e-wallet powered by Broncos. And only at the last step, when they're confirming the transaction, they find out that the bank is offline. Now, it's interesting, in a place like Singapore, the Monetary Authority requires banks to have no more than four hours of downtime per year. (laughs) And you just saw in the news recently that DBS in Singapore, because they had a massive one single downtime event, but significant earlier this year, all the executives took a pay cut, including the CEO took a 30% pay cut or was forced to take a 30% pay cut by the, by the board presumably um, because of this downtime. Meanwhile, in the Philippines and Indonesia, we're seeing banks that have downtimes in the eight, nine, 10% of its whole operating time over the year offline. And But there are some great performers too that have 99% or more uptime for the year. But this is the reason why we published this report is we want to introduce a bit of transparency and and accountability i don't claim that the stability report is the a perfectly scientific view and we, we didn't cover all the banks it's only the ones where we have partnerships and have access to this data but it's a it's a way of celebrating those banks that are doing the right things in terms of being a reliable digital channel for their customers and also calling some accountability for those that have had downtime events there was one bank that had a 20-hour downtime in a single instance, which is significant when you expect and you rely on a bank to be available 24-7 on the mobile app or website to serve your needs. It's not intending to call out or point fingers at any certain banks, but it is meant to start a conversation about what customers should expect from their banks. Uh, And so this is a a first version an early step, but I think one of the indicators that this is received, I think we've had a lot of responsiveness from our bank partners and from banks that weren't included in the report that are particularly proud of their reliability. So there's one digital bank in particular where they contacted me and said, hey, we are proud that we've had such reliable stability over the last year. Can you please include us in the next report? So that's really... The fact that banks see reliability and uptime as a differentiator is a great signal that I think we should be doing more of this and bringing transparency and actually banks offering this as a point of differentiation to their consumers. Hey, use our digital bank because we will be there when you need us 24-7, 365. That's why we did the report. We'll certainly do future additions and and looking forward to the uh, responses from users and from the banking community.
0: Excited to see how many more banks you guys are able to document in the next report. And I think that will definitely maybe even influence the way regulators look at banks as well and try to set expectations as Singapore has, right? And speaking of regulators and governments, I think, Brancas, you mentioned in our first podcast two years ago that... You've taken a educational route, in some ways, working a lot with the regulators to build up these frameworks, introduce open finance. And how has this regulatory, how have these regulatory relationships evolved over the past two years, especially going into licenses? And you did mention earlier that a lot of your services that are available to third parties are, are dependent on what the regulatory developments are within that market. So maybe you can shed yeah. a light on that.
1: Open finance and financial services APIs, this is brand new. Regulation, and not just in Indonesia or the Philippines. This is new everywhere. Open banking itself is really six years old, 2018 in, in, in the UK was the first market globally. And this is a brand new domain for regulators across the globe. And one thing I've learned over the last several years is when you're dealing with new, newly charted regulations and newly charted territory, it's actually important for the industry participants to be contributors to the regulations as they're being written, literally. And that can happen by really, number one, being an open book for the regulator and saying, hey, we're happy to have a consultative meeting anytime. We can share updates, written updates or in a meeting. Our recommendations on what we think is going to build trust in the industry we can do that as a company, we can do that through industry associations like FinTech Associations or Association of Data Protection uh, Officers or even through the Chamber of Commerce, right? So where we're speaking on behalf of the industry and in the spirit of a kind of healthy, secure and competitive industry here. So I think that's been critical. And even over the last few years, the regulations have have evolved. So mm-hmm. Indonesia has for payments has produced a new set of licenses um, for different types of payments providers, which includes, one of the categories includes those that are not payment intermediaries, but that are providing the API connections. So Broncus has secured two different licenses from the Bank of Indonesia for that. Likewise, in the Philippines, there are some pilot initiatives from the central bank, but then there are also ad hoc licensing and regulations and registrations in different terms for different industries where you can participate in a regulatory sandbox, which is a, a a vehicle for the regulator to give some kind of ad hoc approval, even if there's not a, like a crystal clear license for that type of business. So anyway, so it gets very complex very quickly, but the key thing is if you're in it and, and my advice to other founders is if you're in a new industry that where the regulations are being written as we speak, and it's not an established industry. It's very important to be proactive with your regulators and demonstrate that you are willing to and eager to contribute as an industry player, as one data input into their decision-making. If it's done through the right channels and appropriately and in as much of an unbiased way as possible, I think it's usually received very well by the authorities.
0: Yeah, and it can definitely be a strong competitive advantage as well, especially You're one of the first players in in that market to to engage with regulators. Thank you for joining us on this call. Make sure you get notified on When to Dial in by following us wherever you're listening to us. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, toss in a like, and let us know if you'd like to hear more of this topic in the comments. See you all in our next call.